The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Good morning, Mile High, and welcome back to Sharing Our Stories here on Max Media of Denver. My name is Slim, along with Tomas Hernandez from Tribe Recovery Homes. And if you're just tuning in for the first time today, um, this program, Sharing Our Stories, is all about sharing stories of addiction and recovery. Everybody you see here or, or hear here has uh, dealt with addiction and we are in our recovery. And we believe that through this program, through sharing our stories of addiction, that we can help somebody find their recovery. There are a lot of pathways to recovery. Um, No story is exactly the same, but there's a lot of similarities between people's journeys. But we believe by sharing these stories, we can help somebody find that pathway to recovery. And if we can reach just one person with each one of these programs that we do and help them begin their journey or reinforce them in their journey to recovery, well, then this is a successful program. So thank you for tuning in with us. Thanks for checking us out. Um, Tomas from Tribe Recovery Homes. First of all, Tomas, welcome to our new studio. This, this is, is amazing, this right? This is really like, nice. Without without the earphones on our head, um, I know everybody this morning can't see us, but it's a... Uh, it's a little different, but it's fun. Yeah. So, uh, Malhai, we have a brand new studio. You'll be able to watch all of these programs on a YouTube page that we are creating, plus on our radio um, uh, websites and on our Facebook social media. So, um, this is really cool to have this brand new studio. And I really like it. This is kind of exciting. It's also a little nerve wracking to do it for the first time in this room. <laughs> you know, what's funny is now I don't have a YouTube joke for my kids. Because I'm going to be actually on YouTube, and they're not on YouTube, and I say they do too much social media on YouTube. So. No, and now you are a Now YouTube. I'm a 47-year-old on YouTube. Yes, you are, with a, with a podcast and a, an important program. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, Tomas is the, the chief honcho at Tribe Recovery Homes, and they are a treatment center and reentry program. And tell them a little bit, a little bit about what you guys do. Hey, everybody. We're, uh, we started with basically one house, me and a, a gentleman named Dan Singer. We just wanted to- live in the house with a bunch of guys and stay sober, stay clean. And it snowballed into multiple houses in a treatment center. And we did not want to do commercial insurance. We wanted to keep it as close to the streets and the people like us as possible. So we got blessed to be able to bill for Medicaid. And now we are one of the largest outfits in the state of Colorado. We're very proud about that. We have multiple treatment centers and multiple recovery homes um, from residential, PHP, IOP, OP. And the twist is it's a judicial-based program. You think about it, you drink too much, you do too many drugs, you're going to end up in the pokey. You're going to end up somewhere. (laughs) And uh, usually um, the resources are done. So we work really hard to make sure you have every resource possible. Now, that's not to say... Just because you don't have a ticket, you can't apply for tribe. Please apply. You know, if you're okay with that environment, you've been in trouble before, you've never been in trouble. You just needed somewhere to go and you're sitting there listening right now. Everybody has a cell phone nowadays, even people that aren't on the, don't have a place to live. It's at www.triberecoveryhomes.com. There's a button right on there and it says apply now. Or you can call Monday through Friday from 9 to 5 p.m. 72060 tribe and we'll do our best to get you in and if we can't get you in with us we will let you know when we can and or uh, connect you with one of our community partners that do amazing work so that's 720-608-7423 to give tribe recovery homes a call if you are looking to get yourself into a treatment center and begin the process working your recovery. So each week we bring in a different guest and this week it is a pleasure to have another guest come in here and share in their journey from addiction to recovery and hopefully help somebody out there, whether it's you personally or maybe you know a friend, a family member, a loved one who is dealing with addiction and you want to help them find their pathway to recovery or you want to 
understand what it is that they're going through just a little bit more. We're hoping that by listening to our guest today, you'll be able to to understand and to relate to them just a little bit more. So thank you to Erica Staggs. We're so happy that today this young lady has nine years of sobriety. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So Erica, thank you for being our guest. And um, at this time, we turn over the program to you. And Malhai, this is Erica Staggs from Denver on Sharing Our Stories. Thank you. I'm Erica. I'm from Colorado. I was uh, born in Montana, but I only lived there for two months, so it doesn't count. Um, Billings, the one hospital that they had uh, at that time, they have two now, so that's exciting. But yeah, I've been here for many years. My father's uh, side of the family um, is from here, and so we're all natives, but my parents recently left uh, well, not recently, like two years ago, they decided to go to Kentucky. So it's me and my sister here now. But um, yes, nine years in recovery, nine years without alcohol. Pretty amazing. Um, I didn't have a bad childhood. It's kind of crazy uh, how life worked out. Um, it started off My drinking started off in high school, but not anything crazy. Um, I didn't grow up with alcohol in my house, really. My mom doesn't really drink. Um, My dad does not drink. I didn't see him have a beer until I was in my 20s, uh, possibly early 30s. Um, So it was not a normal thing in my household. but it is there is alcoholism in my extended family. So it was there, but we were not directly necessarily exposed to it. Um, so it's kind of crazy that I picked it up so quickly and so intensely um, because I didn't see that in my house. So I'm a firm believer in that genetic uh, predisposition to to being an alcoholic. Um, and I, I just feel like that's happened with me. But um, yeah, I didn't have a bad childhood. My parents are still married. Um, I'm the oldest of three. So my brother is a couple years younger than me. My sister's nine years younger than me. I've been babysitting since I was nine. Very responsible. I started working um, at an office when I was 14, making an actual paycheck. And then um, 16, 15, I think I got all of my lifeguard certs and I started at 16. So when I was in high school, I was on the swim team and I swam in the morning every day. I After school, I went and worked at the Y, uh, taught swim lessons and lifeguarded. I always picked up extra shifts from people. I've always been super hardworking. Um, I think my first drink I was... 16. Um, yeah. And I drew my, I drove to the party in the woods or whatever, which this is not like me. So it was a freak thing. And I had a beer and it was disgusting. And then I was not comfortable driving home. So one of my friends drove my car, uh, home. And then after that, I just remember going straight to vodka, like McCormick's, Goal, like the straight up handle. A um, couple of my friends' parents drank a lot and they always had handles in their houses. So that's what was there. It's shocking to think back on it now because it's hot, you know, it's warm <laughs> yeah. and you're just taking swigs out of the straight out of the handle. And I remember we would always, the right way to do it, right? You take a big breath in, you take your swig, and then you blow out as hard as you can, right? Like to blow out that gross battery acid, as we called it. So even then, I mean, it wasn't every weekend. It wasn't every day. It wasn't anything like that. Um, But that's pretty intense. I can't tell you how much I was drinking at that time because we were just we weren't measuring out shots. Um, but did really well in high school. Um, 
I would go to my boyfriend's house on the weekends and we would it, it was drink on the weekends eventually, like senior year. The end of senior year, I was probably drinking every weekend. And then uh, I paid for my first year of college at CSU. I did not like being there. I didn't like being around all the parties. I was not into partying. Um, even in high school, like most of my friends smoked marijuana and I was never I was never into it. I wouldn't let them bring it in my car. I I didn't like drinking and drive. I wouldn't let anybody drink and drive. I was always a DD. I would go pick people up from parties um, during the week and stuff. You know, like it, I was always very focused on being safe. Like you could hurt somebody I'm trying to look out for other people. But in my first year in college, I remember they came and they always try to get me and my roommate to leave our door open, you know, like the open door policy. And we're like, no, we work, we study. I swear we were the only two people on our floor who had jobs and who were working their own way, you know, through. And we ate ramen and uh, cup of noodles and like, you know, the little Easy Mac, Mac and cheeses. Because it was either we buy good food and not a carton of cigarettes or you just, you know, you buy the trash food and then you can afford the carton of cigarettes and the gas money. So that's what we did, me and her, for the, and I was only there for one semester. I hated it. I just have never been part of the party scene. Um, not my thing. And I drove home every weekend to spend it with my boyfriend. So I was definitely drinking every weekend. But when I was in college, I didn't, we didn't drink during the week. We were very serious. Um, and then I got my first apartment right when I got back from like quit, quit CSU and started going to Red Rocks. And I moved in with um, a couple who I went to high school with. And I was working two or three jobs at a time and going to medical assisting school. And so I'm not sure how this started, but um, it made sense to me. I, I needed to sleep at night. And so in order to sleep, you know, I would take a couple shots of vodka, Skull, McCormick's, whatever it was. And I could get it because my friend's mom was an alcoholic and uh, she would bring it over or buy it. Or I would, I had a few people in my life who I could manipulate um to get to get my alcohol because I was only 19 and 20 but I showed up to work every day I you know I got my diploma in medical assisting couldn't get a job after the fact because conveniently I was not given the list of doctor's offices that will hire you um straight out of school so I ended up working at a bank um which is a good job but um, 20 was a rough year. There was, I, there was some, 2021 was, was pretty bad. Um, definitely drinking every day, um, fighting with my boyfriend, just being a neurotic, you know, young woman who, girl, doesn't know what she wants or what she's doing. Um, there was some self-harm in there definitely during that time acting out in that way um after I turned 21 I thought you know like I would I don't it wasn't really try the bar scene I, I didn't fit in but quickly realized after going out only a few times with coworkers and friends that I'm an embarrassment to myself you know um probably to them too but nobody openly said that, but there's definitely, like, I did not know when to stop drinking. I never knew what I was going to do. I never knew who I was going to meet, talk to, like, wander off with, you know, um, very, very dangerous. Um, so I definitely quickly realized it's best that I just stay in my apartment by myself, um, and avoid going out. Um, I also didn't like going out with people unless I knew that there was going to be a sober driver. And of course I was at that point, not committing to that. Um, we walked a lot. We would walk to Baker street and Belmar, which 
yeah, there's a lot <laughs> bits of memories of these things, like drinking too much, dancing too, you know, with people you don't know. And oh, it's so embarrassing. But um, I started blacking out pretty early on. So a lot of my drinking times are, I guess it, I mean, it, it is kind of a good thing that I don't remember. I, but at the same time, it's it's pretty terrifying. You wake up the next morning, your keys are in your front door, you're sleeping in the hallway. Anybody could have walked in, and I live by myself. Um, you know, weird stuff like that. While I was in a blackout, I would like I would drink all my alcohol, and I'd hide the bottles. I don't. I go. I must have went somewhere to throw them away. I don't. Out of shame, waking up the next morning. I don't know. Weird. It was weird behavior, but. I isolated pretty quickly, um, still went to work every day. It didn't affect me there, so therefore I'm fine. Um, and then at when I was 21, um, I was doing laundry. I lived three floors on the third floor, but it was like six flights of stairs up because they had the garages and carports underneath on the first floor and the laundry was in the middle of the garages. So it was raining and I'm carrying my big tub of uh, laundry down. Um, and I, at some point in this trip fell. Um, I don't wasn't drinking a ton uh, that night, but I woke up on my ex-boyfriend's couch the next morning. I didn't know how I got there. Um, I went out to my car and I had a flat tire and um, damage on the front of it. So I clearly drove and I hit something. Um, didn't know, didn't understand. I think I walked home from there, which was not terribly far, but pretty. I was definitely a couple miles at least. Um, when I got home, I went and looked in the mirror and I had a dent in the side of my eye. And the side of my face was scraped off. So I had fallen down the stairs and uh, hit the corner of the railing and uh, took, yeah, scraped my face. And so going to work, I I know people were asking what happened. And it was like, oh, I fell down some stairs. But I didn't really, I didn't know or understand. Um, and I didn't know why I had a flat tire. So my boss went and changed my tire for me, got my car situated, Um and then I think a week or two later, I had a ticket from a police officer on my front on my front door because I had hit two parked cars in my um, complex on my way out. Going, I don't know why I was going to his house, but to his house. And uh, so I got a careless driving ticket. Thank God, nothing major. Um, they didn't know there, if I was drinking or not, so it wasn't a huge deal. And I paid the neighbor for her damage. The other neighbor never responded to me uh, for his truck. So, you know, that kind of just went away. But after that, I was acting very manic. It was apparently, I was drinking too. Um, but I was calling my parents in the middle of the night, crying and carrying on. Um, I don't remember any of this. Not sleeping. Uh, so they had me go to the doctor and my doctor, the primary care doctor, um, gave me medicine. And she, I had five prescriptions that she told me to take. So I had four I was taking um, at night and one in the morning. So four downers and an upper, you know, um, to keep me functioning, not manic. I don't know. Um, so in the span of 10 months, Probably I was on these drugs um, after being on them for a few months. I think I think it was March I got my first DUI. And then within 30 days, I had three DUIs. So um, I don't remember any of it. I was coming home, taking my medicine like I was supposed to, um, and blacking out. So apparently... And then I'd wake up the next morning and I tasted alcohol, but I couldn't find any of the bottles or any evidence of drinking. So, you know, I don't know what happened from when I got home until the next morning when I woke up. Um, and that's 
days. I don't remember. Um, the first DUI, um, my dad picked me up from the police department. I don't, I got booked, but I, I didn't go. I don't think I ever went into a cell. I think I stayed in the front and they just had him come get me. And then a week or two, two weeks later, I got the second. And that time I woke up in detox. I didn't know where I was um, or why I was there. They won't give you your phone. I'm wearing men's clothes. Um, it's a co-ed. So, you know, like the door on the bathroom didn't lock. So one of the guys that was there was nice enough. Like if I had to go to the bathroom, he would stand guard, you know, Um and then I was, you know, it's like, okay, you're up every hour. They're checking your vitals and you're blowing. And um, it took, I don't even, it took like a day and a half for me to blow zeros. So it finally blew zeros. I, I met so many people in there and all these guys are getting out before me because they have higher metabolism and they're just like checking out. But they wouldn't let me check out because I'm a female. And so I can't take a cab. I can't take a bus. But I can't call anybody unless I have a their number memorized. Well, of course, it's nobody's answering my phone calls. Um, they don't know the number. Finally, my friend answered. I couldn't tell her where I was because they wouldn't tell me. So she called, started making calls and just calling every place. And she's like, if she's there, because they won't tell you if I'm there, you know, let have her call me back. Uh, I'll come get her. And so finally, like the Two and a, it was two and a half days that I was in there. So the the um, one of the employees from the first night was like, what are you still doing here? So he moved my file to the front so I could get out. Um, and uh, yeah, they were nice enough to only charge me for two nights when they could have charged me for three. That's what they were saying when they sent me out. So that sucked. Um then I, you know, I find these tickets in my pockets, right? Or in my purse, like there's my DUI, I'm reading it. No clue, have no recollection of any of this. The third one, I woke up in the hospital. Um, and they, I don't really remember that either, but they sent me home pretty quickly the next morning and uh, on the bus, but I'm in, you know, like my pajamas um, my etnies with no socks and like on a bus with a bus token. And I don't even know that I had my phone. So I'm just taking super scary, just super vulnerable in a bad situation. And, um, finally got home. My first one, I know that I was in the point high twos. The second one I was like the low threes. And then the third one, I was almost uh, point 0.4. I was, sh I should be dead um, is what they were telling me. It was, it was very, very high. And I, they must've done blood. I'm sure they did blood. Um, so anyways, that all happened. Obviously something crazy is going on. Um, I think I after that, I went to a neurologist, and they told me I had suffered from a concussion. Um, I also found out that my doctor had told my parents I was uh, schizophrenic and not to tell me because then I would stop taking my medication. So I'm drinking on all of this medicine. That's for a person who is schizophrenic, um, which obviously was a horrible concoction. So... Um, I still didn't stop taking it. The neurologist, you know, is like, obviously you're misdiagnosed as schizophrenic. You have a concussion from the fall months ago. Um, and then apparently I tried to commit suicide. I woke up in the psych ward, um, St. Anthony's, I think it was central. Uh, so I was in there for a minute, but they said that one of the firefighters who brought me, um, brought all of my medicine with or took pictures or something. And they were like, do you know what you're taking? And I'm no, it's supposed to help me sleep. So then I go and research it. It's like, oh, no wonder. So massive withdrawals because um, I just cold turkeyed, took myself off of everything. That was horrific. Um, I also should say all three of my DUIs 
and my suicide attempt and all that. All of this is at my apartment. I never made it out of my apartment complex by the grace of God. I do not know who's looking out for me or what, but I was not driving around. Um, I all everyone, my car, like I was, yeah, in the apartment complex, which is insane. Um, so somebody was looking out for me. And even the attempted suicide, I have no idea how they found me because I live by myself. And I didn't call anybody. Nobody knew I was there. I actually don't know if everybody knows that now that that happened. Um, but, yeah, got there. I remember my sternum was bruised. So I don't know if they pumped my stomach or if they were trying to bring me back and, you know, did the sternum rub. I have no idea. But pretty intense. Um, my lawyer, luckily was able to get all three of my DUIs to one case. Um, So that was supposed to happen a year later. So for a year after all of this, I am, he's building my case. My doctor went to Texas, can't get a hold of her. Um, I'm building, I'm getting like character letters. I'm going to AA, um, which I drank before I would go to AA. So was not taking that seriously. Um, started community service early. I was blowing twice a week, which is a joke because your color gets called. You just don't drink, you know, during the day, right? Like, no big deal. So I could still drink every day. Um, plus, I was on the bus. So I had very long hours. I was out of my house at like 630 in the morning. And if they called my color and I had to go to the halfway house to blow, I wasn't getting home until 1030, 11. Very long days. So I had plenty of time to to get that out of my system. Um, slap on the wrist. Thank God. Uh, I only got uh, 30 days with the ankle bracelet. They were trying to get me in for a year. I They wanted me to serve a year in jail. Um, work release for all but two months, I think, is what it was. Um, and my judge got switched right before he had only been doing these kinds of cases and none of these are felonies. They're all traffic offenses. Thank God again. Um, he had just switched from divorce court to um, DUIs, traffic court, whatever, like two weeks before. So we weren't sure if he was going to throw the book at me or take pity on me. And he took pity. Um, I got two years probation. Um, he waived my fines. I had to pay all the fees. Um and I, I got to work and do the 30-day ankle bracelet, not the scram, just the regular one, which, you know, I worked through. I did it, whatever, two years probation, got through that, had to do the peeing in the cup, the 72-hour, I think it's 70 or 76-hour. So I would – I only had to do that once a month, and so I wouldn't drink, you know. And then as long as my color got called four days – Five days before the first of the month, like I would start drinking again and to stop five days. I had it all planned out. Um, so didn't fully quit drinking there. Got my community service all done in that time. Did everything like I was supposed to, minus the being sober part. Um, and got my license back after four years, I think, four and a half with the interlock in there. I had it down to a science that if I drank a half a pint and a 24-ounce Bud Light lime, ate dinner all between 6.30 and 8.30, and I could have two other shooters. That's it. Um, And then I would be able to start my car in the morning. If I had any more than that out of the time frame or didn't eat, then I would um, not be able to start my car. So that was sick, my addiction sickness for sure (laughs) there. Um, had that all down to science. Um, a lot of times I would try to get my boyfriend to just blow or drive me the next day, you know, uh, so I could keep drinking because if I didn't drink what I wanted to drink, I had a hard time sleeping. Um, I just didn't feel right. So bought my first house, still have the same job. That's why it was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm functioning. I'm functioning. It's okay. I have no problem. As long as I don't throw up in the morning, you know, I'm good long as I'm not drinking during work, I'm good. Um, the last year of my drinking, when I was 28, I did all of those things. I woke up 
took a shot, threw up, took two shots. You know, um, I don't remember that last week very well at all. Um, my last day drinking, uh, my first day sober was actually Mother's Day in 2014. Um, I, uh, for some reason, I was fighting with my boyfriend. He left. His dad had 35 years sober. So we were around, you know, what what it's like to live in recovery. And we knew the horror stories from him and all of this. And I, we just pretended, right? Nothing's wrong. Hit it. Never went out um, with friends. If, if you can't drink with me, I don't want to be around you because it was just embarrassing. So the only people I was hanging out with were people that were drinking just as much, if not more, than I was. Um, so the last night... I don't know why I decided to move, rearrange my furniture. So the big giant TVs, the the box TVs, I don't know how I did it, but I dragged my TV across the floor and ripped the cables out of the floor. So it, the TV didn't work. Um, nothing was, was working there. Um, the next morning I, I saw the scrape marks and then the rip cables. I don't, I don't know what the hell I was doing, but I, uh, for some reason, decided to call my dad in the middle of the night. And I told him that I needed help and I was an alcoholic. Um, At that point, I had like every day, you know, on my way to work, my insides were shaking. Um, I would look in the mirror and just cry, not know why, why I was there, why I hated myself so much, um, why I couldn't stop drinking. I tried to, I would switch up liquor stores because it was so embarrassing going to the same one, you know, um, so many just terrible, terrible things. But I told the one person in a blackout, and I do remember calling him, but that you don't tell. There's no way I can go back on it now. Like, I can't say I'm an alcoholic and then be like, just kidding. You know, um, he knows what alcoholism is. And so I, he came over the next day, asked me if I wanted to go to treatment I told him uh, we would call Tom, my boyfriend's dad, to see what he recommended. He told me to go to AA. And so I I didn't quit my job. I didn't lose my job. Um, but I started going to AA three day, three or four meetings a week. Took it kind of slow. But, it, I mean, I wasn't drinking. Um, I was not ashamed. After uh, I told people who were very close to me because I needed that accountability. Um the withdrawals were were rough. Uh, the shaking, the anxiety, the anxiety was really bad. Um, not as bad as when I was trying to drink on abuse, though. That was that was fun. Um, but yeah, my insides would just shake every day, and I just would cry all the time. Eat ice cream. The people at Goldstone knew exactly what my order was. Um, but after. Six months of being in AA, I think I finally got my sponsor, picked one. And uh, I did show up and listen and participate, but I was I was definitely cautious. Um, I was not – I grew up Christian. Um, I do believe in God, but that was – I blamed him a lot during my drinking. So, I you know, that was a little hard for me to grasp in the beginning, but it, it was okay. Um, and then after it took me two years to finish all my steps and then do all of my amends, um, which was, was really good. Um, I, there's a lot of people that I definitely used during this time. I don't remember a lot of things, but I know, I mean, I had text messages. I had people there the next day that I was like, oh crap, what, what happened? You know, like messages are the worst, aren't they? Yeah, but thank God in 2014, it's not, I was not attached to my phone like I am now. I don't, I was like literally, I discovered Candy Crush before that. It was solitaire and that was like really all that I did. But um, I could, I would get so drunk, I couldn't text. So I would wake up and I'd have like gibberish everywhere. Yeah, I don't even know what was going on there. Um, so that would, ugh. and there was no picture. There's very few pictures. I have one friend who has pictures of me and then there's not a whole lot out there. <laughs> Luckily, these mm. days, it, ugh, it would probably be everywhere. But 
yeah, I um, two years sober. We got I got married to my ex. Um, a few months later, found out that he was not faithful. Um, he was drinking, not a lot, but occasionally he was smoking cigarettes. We had quit smoking cigarettes, and there was just a lot of lies that had come out. So in one month, I quit my job of 10 years. I went to real estate school and I got divorced. Um, And I was like, you know, if I can quit drinking, I can do anything. Um, So that was pretty, that was a lot. That was chaotic, but I I got through it. And I, um, I started to realize that I'm actually proud of myself in sobriety. And so I was much more open to people when I would meet them. Like, I don't drink because I'm an alcoholic. I can't drink. Where before you might kind of hide it or say things you you, you know, to, to kind of cover it up like it's shameful. And I was much more proud of it at that point. Um, for my divorce party or whatever they call them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Germany and um, my, I have family out there. And um, I went to an AA meeting for my th- three-year sober in Munich, which was amazing. Um, my cousin found me an English-speaking AA meeting. And there was, you know, guys from Ireland in there, Turkey, um, England. Yeah, I don't know, a whole random group of people. And they were the best. It was it was just crazy that you can go in anywhere to these meetings in these rooms and you're welcome and you're loved and you're accepted. And um, so that really hit home for me. Um, when I got back that summer, I started dating my husband Um we went to high school together, but we didn't know each other. He found me on Facebook, and I was like, eh, we have like 150 of the same friends, so it's probably fine. And he uh, started texting me. He'll say that I hit on him first, but it's not, it's not true. Um, so he was in Iceland at the time throwing for the Scottish Highland Games. Very or, strong man. Yeah. Everybody, very strong. He is very, very strong. Um yeah, so he got back from there, and I met him at the airport, and we've been together ever since. Um, so, in you know, in sobriety, I've I've accomplished like huge feats. I've purchased multiple houses for myself, sold multiple houses. Um, I've had two beautiful baby girls. Um, got married to a man who respects me, um, supports me. Um, has an opinion. My last one didn't have an opinion, you know. Uh, so this is a much better relationship because uh, he can tell me when I'm being a little crazy and I need to calm down. We we level each other out pretty well, but we travel so much um, with his throwing uh, Scottish Highland Games stuff, which is so cool. The things that we're accomplishing now are just it's just amazing. I have my own um, team of real estate agents now I would have just never been able to do this before when I was drinking um it's just I there was no self-confidence there was no self-love and now you know it's not every day is not easy there's still anxiety there's still stress I still have to constantly remind myself to be in the right you know mindset um think positive you know be be on the right track like uh which is difficult you know, for everybody, but uh, my best, my worst days today are better than my best days when I was drinking. So what does nine years sober feel like right now? Feels amazing. I am, I feel so proud of myself. I, I don't know. I, it, I don't think about alcohol. Um, I still have dreams out of the blue, which is terrifying, but, um, there's no urge, you know, like I I know for a fact that if I go and have a drink, I'm going to go big. There's That's the only way I do it, right? There is not even a thought that crosses my head like that I could handle it at this point. But it's I feel free, you know, like free from that constant everyday exactly. pull. And it just it takes over your life. You know, the listeners might want to know another thing because a lot of people, they look at 12 steps like it's a cult. I'm not going to go do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this. For me, it was a step work. 
Mm-hmm. I can sit in the rooms. I could talk about things. I can regurgitate things. Everybody's. I can find friends. I could find not find friends. I could mm-hmm. prejudge. I can do a million things. But in my step work, nine years sober, what is the pinnacle situation that you felt in the step work that taught you not to have that urge? That you know who you are about alcohol. You know that when you wake up from that dream, you know mm-hmm. that's not reality. That's not your reality today. Right. But what does that step work? How did, how did that work for you? Like your sponsor, the step work. What what does that feel like to be, you know, honestly, you know, you're one of my heroes because there's not a lot of women that take the courage to do that, to get into recovery like that. Yeah. Especially from what I was hearing was you knew the game. You knew how to be a functioning alcoholic. Oh, yeah. You know, so people out there usually think it's a throw down situation to where you just ran into the the wall. Like, you know, Slim right next to me, he was very functional for very, for yeah. a, a, quite a long time. A lot of that I related to, especially the functioning, the um, knowing exactly how much you could drink so that you could continue to pass your breathalyzers, mm-hmm. um, pee tests. I did all of that. Yeah. So those are all things that I relate to a lot of the things that you said. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I mean, I decided, thank God, um, by the grace of God, I decided enough is enough. Like before I hit rock bottom or died, honestly, there's so many times I should have been dead. It's shocking. Um, Or kidnapped or whatever, right? Like who even, it's so bad. But um, I left uh, my gas stove on one time and my carbon monoxide detector was going off and I was mad because it wouldn't stop it wouldn't shut up so i threw it in my front yard and then passed out on the couch and my neighbor was like this girl and he came over and like picked me up and put me outside i'm like i how did like thank god he was home he should have been sleeping he worked the night shift it's just crazy stuff but um i was very particular i listened when i got in the rooms and they it was like find somebody which there's not a lot of women so find somebody who has what you want and I uh, really took a hold of that. And so I was, I picked my sponsor because she was married and it was in a happy relationship. She had just had a baby and that's what I wanted. I wanted so badly to have like a, a good marriage and start a family. And um, so, and she was funny and she made, you know, her stories funny. She made alcoholism, not, oh, poor me, a pit of despair, but like her stories that she shared, she was able to laugh about it. And I really try to be that, that light and it makes, it's better for me to be like, yeah, you know, like laugh about it. Now it feels better um, than uh, sitting in, yeah, the pity. But so I picked her and, uh, you know, it took me a while to get it all done, but it definitely was a step work. I completely agree with you. Actually being honest with myself and writing down all my inventory, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't remember Right. But I know people were there. So I'm writing down names and the whole it's just a reoccurring. Well, I was clearly selfish. I'm sure I manipulated um, and abused. You know, our relationship is the same, same thing with not a big description. You know, I talk about this all the time and it's a quote that I heard and it was a friend of mine in Boca. And he says, and I feel the same way about step work. And I've repeated this over and over again on this show. Some of my fondest memories never happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and you find that out on when you put that that pin to paper. Uh, and you're like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, I'm a character. I could have got an Oscar for the stuff that I've said to everybody, this is and that. But when you get in that step work and you meet yourself and you can't sit there in a meeting and, and, and talk to somebody just so they can hear you, just talking to yourself. It's you. Mm-hmm. God, that pen, your heart, mm-hmm. and that paper, and you're going to take it to your sponsor, and that sponsor is going to pull your card if you're full of it, and that's oh, yeah. it, and mm-hmm. you're going to learn from it, and it's not going to feel good sometimes. I know that a lot of times I've taken my step work guide, I've thrown it across the room. I've had anxiety because I thought I lost it. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. uh, it travels with me places. You know, um, it's uh, it's 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 such an honor to have you on here. Um, Wow, because um, we have so much diversity in the people that come on this show, you know, and so many different stories. And it's not all about jail. It's not all about loss. You escaped jail. Yeah. You, you, three DUIs, you should exactly. have been in jail. 
if I would have gotten them one you were, you year were later, baby hands. Yeah, if I would have gotten them one year later, I would have had a felony. Um, yeah, so I big time lucked out, yeah. big time. And God's got like humor because, like, when you said you wanted to be married with a baby, you found like an Icelandic <laughs> strongman that is yeah. a giant. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he's probably the most gentle person on earth. And that's what's great about recovery. When you ask your higher power to put somebody in your life, mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't happen. But majority when you're in recovery, they put what's supposed to fit. And, you know, I'm happy for you. I'm just happy for everything that, that, that you got. It's it's such an inspiration. It's such an honor to have you on this show. Thank Be the you. first one in this podcast to come in with nine years strong, a great family, Telling people how a career can work, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, a marriage can work, how step work matters, how, how, stick- how step work can work. Yes, mm-hmm. how that can work, how how if you stick to what you want and what you know, because even through your alcoholism, you knew what you wanted at those times and you knew how to I make did. those choices. And, you know, I, I figured when I was in recovery, when I first started, I, you know. If I knew how to make bad choices, I could make some good choices. I was just afraid of good choices. Yeah, it's and hard. What made you really, because you went to AA before and you were drinking before AA meetings. What made mm-hmm. that second run so different? What, what made it so that you really said, I'm, I'm going to make this change? The first time, uh, it looks good on paper. It was just to show the judge, like, look, I, I was, I'm you. already trying. Um, I didn't take it seriously, obviously. And I was blaming my doctor. The whole time, right? Like I'm not. Yeah. Sh- she's the reason that it's this they happened gave me to these me. Medications. Yes, and so, and I did that for years. Obviously, like this happened when I was 22. I didn't quit drinking until I was 28. Um, but the second time, like I trusted uh, a man who had 35 years, and he he told me that's the way you're going to do it. You're going to go to AA, and if you can't, you know, then you can go to treatment. Um, but if you can knock it out and, and get your butt in there and really commit yourself. And you wanted it. Yep. And I I just, I mean, the first time being in there, I was in there with a bunch of older men. That's what I was going to ask um, <laughs> And they were just, they were so kind, you know, to me. And they were, and then after that, it was every meeting. They're like, Erica, you know, yeah. what's your story? I'm like, I got three DUIs in a month. And everyone's like, <gasps> you know, it's shocking, yeah. right? Like me. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's those days when you get that first chip or you get that first coin. Like my wife today, she asked me, what do you want for your sobriety birthday? What do you want for your clean date? Mm-hmm. You know, I go use the clean terminology because I'm an egg guy. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I tell her every year, you know, whatever you want to give me, baby, because I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to multiple meetings within those three days. I'm going to get a key tag for myself. I'm going to get a key tag for my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go get a coin in AA and whatever else. And I'm just going to sit there because I walked in there by myself and I had the courage to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't need no flashy coin. I don't need anything like that. I just need that brassy. I need that piece of plastic in my hand mm-hmm. and say, hey, I did it another year. Mm-hmm. I did it. I did it. Nobody can take that from me but me. One right. day at a time. Nobody can take that from me. Yeah, I like going in and getting the hug. Yeah. And then everybody, like, I'm like, yes, thank you, thank you. I mean, we're, a lot of us like the attention, right? We're mm-hmm. pretty <laughs> ego-driven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I like being acknowledged. That's one of my uh, character defects, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I have a lot of women that reach out to me, especially during COVID. Um, Things got really bad for a lot of people. And they ask me because I'm very vocal about it. It's on social media. I, you know, I'm sober. And uh, they ask me how I do it. And I say, you know, like the way I know is going to AA, showing up and um, doing what they say. Like, at least show up and listen. Doing the work. Yeah. And um, a lot of them, you know, it's the, they don't want to do the God thing. They're not they're not into the religion and, you yeah. know, and they're still out there. Yeah. And, and, and it, to break that myth, everybody, your higher power can be a doorknob, literally, literally, mm-hmm. you know, you pick what you want. You know, when I went in, it wasn't I didn't know who God was. My God was I just didn't like him mm-hmm. and I really didn't like me on my choices. So I had to figure out around the block 
on where my higher power is. We, you have three people in the recovery in this on this podcast, on this radio show this morning, and we all have a different version of God. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because the diversity of a higher power and just knowing that you are not God yourself and you've ruined yourself and you need help and that humility and that that's just enough. That's that spark to get started. You know, just to get to work, just to start getting to work, you know, just go to meetings, pour the coffee, set up the chairs, be of service, just be there, just be there at first, just to be there, just know that you can be on time for a meeting and be there. Doesn't cost you nothing. You know, a lot of the times I didn't even have cigarettes and I bum them off. I got free coffee there. (laughs) Somebody's going to buy me some God awful diner after that. That's going to taste the best that I've ever tasted because everything is alive again because I got another chance. Even that bus pass feels good in my pocket, you know, and I've had some great flashy cars before. I was just happy to have the bus pass and I was free and I was clean, you know, and I had some people like you're saying, hugging me and, and loving me and, 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 and understanding who I was. Cause the best part is you walk in a room and people have been through it. You don't have to explain. You don't have to put that Emmy winning speech to your parents or to your loved ones. You don't have to do that. You just have to show up and some of them could just look at you. It's like reading your mind mm-hmm. and you're you safe. Know, one of the things you said was that you told people you were happy to tell them, you know, it was almost like you were proud to say I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I relate to because that was <clears throat> one of the biggest parts of my recovery was telling people I needed to be held accountable. I went on the radio and told everybody because I don't have family here yeah, and I have a small circle of friends. And so it was like, I need everybody. I, I wanted to be so that if I walked into a bar and you saw me, mm-hmm. I wanted you to be able to point your finger at me and go, what are you doing here? Or what are you holding in your hand? And I wanted to be held completely accountable. And I thought when you said that you were proud to tell people that I was like, amen to that. Cause I agree with that fully. And having gone to AA, it's not often, it's not something that you're told to go tell people that you're accountable. That's something that you have to want to do for yourself. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a step to, to go out there. It's called anonymous. You know, right. Slim, right. I remember that because I've been around the community. I'm honored now to be a host and be on this show. But I remember when he announced it, it was like a, it was like a bomb going off. Like all our friends in radio, like, did you hear what Slim said this morning? Did you hear what he said this afternoon? Yeah. Did you hear that? Like, that's amazing. Because I stopped everything. I, I stopped the music for twenty minutes. I totally broke the rules. Um, but and I made it all about about I guess all about me on the radio show instead mm-hmm. of being about the music and, and the listeners. But I needed I needed to take that moment to tell everybody because it was the only way I knew that I could be held accountable. And, and force myself to stop. Now I got to do it. Right. Now I got, I keep talking about it now, now. And I was already 30 days in when I did it, but now there's no turning back. No. Now everybody knows. You can't so let them down up, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if I screw this up, everybody knows that I screwed this up. Right. And I think that's, that's a big step, especially for yourself, you know, in what helps you get to where you are. Yeah. Is the accountability. Yes. And one more thing on the God thing, on everyone's higher power is different. I do want to say one of my good friends is an atheist. And uh, she has tried getting sober every which way. Um, And she has been going to AA, being involved, like three meetings a day, like totally killing it, like fully immersing herself. She is still an atheist. Mm -hmm. And she's, you know, she's working the program. Um, She's on First sponsor didn't work out. She's on sponsor number two. Um, she's doing an amazing job. I'm so incredibly proud of her. But hey, congratulations! Yeah. So um, you don't you don't have to, you know, have have the have the specific God right in your mm-hmm. head. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a friend that he talks about. Uh, he says it's just a moral compass to me when I know I'm doing the right thing. And I know it feels good. I know I'm doing good. When I know I'm doing something bad or somebody I'm in around surrounded in something that's not good, I know it's bad. And he goes, and that's my religion. And that's enough mm-hmm. for me. Absolutely. You had a final thing to say to somebody dealing with um, addiction right now and, and trying to find their recovery. What would you tell them? Where, what would you tell them to start with? 
Um, find somebody that you trust and uh, that has some recovery. Like there's a million different ways to do it. I know how to do it through AA and that's what I recommend to everybody. But um, yeah, just anybody that I, even just in my opinion could show up to the rooms and meet 15 mm-hmm. people you trust. Mm-hmm. Like, but yeah. if you know, there's lots of us out there, ask around, be, be vulnerable, be honest. And um, you know, yeah, just find somebody that, that you think um, you could open up to a little bit and uh, ask them how they did it. And, yeah. and nowadays, TikTok, social media, oh gosh, anything yeah. that you got, just put recovery in there. Yeah, You can hear that, the message. You're about to be on YouTube. You're, I mean, get on there. There's, I mean, what is it? Uh, how, Rich, what is, what's the guy uh, from, uh, what was the movie when he was, uh, when he was talking about taking the Jeffrey? When he was running from public. Oh, um, get him to the Greek. Yeah. Yeah. He's completely sober and he made that movie. You know what I mean? Completely. Yeah. It's, uh, Russell it's, Brand. Russell yep. Brand. Yep. You know, he's, he's got, got some a, amazing stuff. He's got a great recovery story. Yes, yeah. he does. Yeah, he does. 21 years, I think. Is yeah. 20 years, 21 years. Yeah. And he played a, an addict to the core right there. It was great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's what's funny. I didn't. I almost had to go to a meeting. I kind of wanted a Jeffrey. <laughs> I wanted to put fur on my <laughs> wall. There's so many pathways to recovery, and I totally had to hear, you know, you give just one more, you know, just let people know one more opinion on on, on a way that they could get started. But there are so many different ways to recovery. And Erica, I want to thank you for sharing your story and and journey so far. And congratulations on your nine years. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you. You two gorgeous baby girls. Thank you. And uh, celebrating on Mother's Day your nine years. Awesome, right? Just a round of applause for you. And that's truly, truly a great thing. And I'm so glad that you're able to sit here with us. And those are real claps, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Everybody. I'm so glad you're able to That wasn't like the old school like uh, thing that he just pushed a button and you heard the clap sound. Mahai, if you're just uh, (laughs) tuning in with us or you you came to us a little bit late, this is sharing our stories. And you can find this program uh, on our social media pages. You can find it on our radio websites, jammin1015.com, flowdenver.com. We're also going to be posting this video on YouTube. You'll be able to follow this program on YouTube and our new studios here. Um, And if you're somebody who is trying to find your recovery and you've listened today and you said, I want to be like Erica, Um, I'm tired of this. Like she said, you can start with an AA meeting. You can Google AA. Look on your phone right now. Just type in Alcoholics Anonymous and I promise you, you will find a meeting happening today in your area and you can go today. There will be a meeting every single day day. You will always be able to find a meeting. If you're looking for a narcotics anonymous meeting, you will find that if you need assistance, you're saying, I I don't know how to do this. I I don't want to search. I need help doing this. You can call tribe recovery homes, 720-60-TRIBE. That's 608-7423. And somebody will answer the phone there and they will help you. They can help you get into a treatment center. If you can't work with tribe recovery homes, they'll find some place else for you, whether it's Step Denver, Stout Street, or one of the Hazelbrook, one of the numerous places here in the Mile High that there is to help you. They will help you find that pathway to your recovery. If you need to help a, fr- a family member, a friend, a loved one, all of these people are here to help you. And, and that's what we want to do. And that's why we do this program to spread a message, to let you know recovery happens. So you can meet wonderful people like Erica and you can say, you know what? I can do this too because you don't have to suffer and it's probably already been too many years for you. I suffered yeah. for for over 20 years. Erica, that was easily 14, 12 years of your life at least, wow. right? 12 years, that's 12 years too long. Tomas, it's like 55 years <laughs> for Tomas. <laughs> yeah. And you know what the biggest pinnacle part that what she said? Is if you got to just tell on yourself. Yes. Call somebody that's going to hold you accountable. Yes. It's going to be okay because you know what? What she said right there, me being a father to a daughter, that's just that factor right there. Yeah. We always going to know that our baby girl is going to call. That's and right. And they're going to say something. They're going to try to help you. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean? Amen I can probably pretty much tell you're a daughter's girl. You know yeah. what I mean? So with that, daddy's our da- girl. Daddy's, daddy's girl. girl. Daddy's girl. I, always, yeah. I mess up back names. I mess up my own name, y'all. You mess but up anyway, your own phone number. I, I do. I do. I do. Yeah, I do. You know. But um, like he said, tell on yourself. That's probably one of the best things you can do is tell somebody, you know what? I have a problem and I need help. 
And I bet you your friends will help you. Your family yeah. will definitely help you. Um, I hope they will. I shouldn't yeah. say definitely, but I Just hope Just don't your call your boss. <laughs> don't call somebody that you might lose them. Don't call your landlord. There, there's people that'll help you. And just remember, you can pick up the phone and you can call us, all right? 720-60-TRIBE. This is Sharing Our Stories. We're here each Sunday and we'll be back again with another guest. And we want to thank you on this Mother's Day. Wish you the best Mother's Day, a wonderful day, a happy Sunday. A thank you to our guest, Erica Staggs. I love you for being here and I appreciate you so much. Yeah. Bye, we'll be back again. Have a wonderful Sunday and we'll see you here on Sharing Our Stories.